Hey there, welcome to Beyond the Bikini podcast, where you can enhance your body and your mind. My name is Nicole Ferrier, exercise science grad, certified personal trainer, bikini competitor, and coach. On this podcast, you will learn more about my experience in the fitness industry, competing in bikini competitions, mental health, and how to gain more success in your own life in your fitness journey. So sit back, relax, or power through this cardio session and enjoy. Beyond the Bikini, we talk a lot about training and nutrition. Trust me, it can be challenging to hit your fitness goals on your own. There is so much out there when it comes to working out, hitting your nutrition, and finding the plan that's right for you and your goals. Now, one thing that can make that a lot easier is hiring a coach and getting support towards your goals. I'm happy to say that I do offer online health and fitness coaching. I have plans that vary from support with training and nutrition and just your nutrition, and I even offer challenges throughout the year. If that sounds like something you're interested in, make sure you check out that description box down below. You can also find more details on my coaching services at NicoleFerrierFitness.com or even on Instagram at NicoleFerrierFitness. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Beyond the Bikini Radio, and I can officially announce that we have assistant coach here, Alec Britton. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. We are going to be talking about, I feel like, a little bit of a touchy subject, and that is going to be healthcare and its influence on the fitness industry, uh, alongside with people who might have a large amount of weight to lose. Yeah, so this is something that I see and I've seen a lot of over the last nine years being in the healthcare field and um, something that now I'm hoping to get in front of and help change. Yeah, why don't you um, tell our audience a little bit more about like the different types of nursing you've done because you are an RN, Alec, and you've definitely seen a lot and you can also kind of lean more into like the bariatric field and, and what that looked like for you. Yeah, so I started out actually before I was a nurse in the intensive care unit, um, did a few years there, a few years in med surge nursing, as well as pre-op and PACU, um, and then eventually I moved over to the long-term care skilled nursing side of things, where, and that's really where I gained a lot of perspective on how your lifestyle um, really affects your long-term care and, and your well-being at the end stages of your life. Um, and now I'm actually in insurance where I actually deal a lot with day-to-day of reviewing the authorizations for bariatric surgeries um, amongst other surgeries and inpatient, but I do see a lot of that every single day. Yeah. So you've kind of seen like all different sides. You've seen it like patient side and then the flip side of the money yes. which is very yeah. expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. And I mean, you really realize that people's lifestyles play a role in how expensive it can be later on, um, because that's one of the things that I hear up front is how expensive it is to eat healthy or how expensive it is to, you know, change your lifestyle and live a healthy lifestyle. But the way that I have seen it is it's a lot more expensive um, to not pay attention to your health because you do end up paying for it eventually. 
Yeah. I think that there's kind of like a lack of education too, just like on how healthcare works in the States, you know, it's not like you have a problem and it's going to be free to fix it. And I think a lot of even young adults aren't taught properly about how to fuel your body and preventative care. And, you know, when you're in your teens or your twenties, you're not thinking about, Hey, like I might have a heart attack one day, you know, you're just right. kind of going through life, but we really need to start being preventative early on and realize that like the earlier we start, the better it's going to be. And I think that a lot of people that were probably in that bari- bariatric, you know, field, um, they are desperate right? They are very desperate for change. They are, um, kind of at their wits end. And I think it's kind of scary just what people are willing to do at that like crisis state. And how would you kind of describe like some of the things that you've seen that have been alarming to you? You know, it's really, it really is scary because people go, and they get these consults for these different bariatric sur- surgeries, whether it be like a gastric bypass or um, gastric banding, whatever it is. And I see the protocols that they're placed on. Um, and all of the time, it's always, you know, cut out your carbs, do meal replacement shakes. It's never actual education on what their nutrition should look like. Um, and then they get approval. And initially they do lose a lot of weight, but the scary part about it is, is that they're never taught the actual habits to achieve that weight loss and then maintain that weight loss. Mm -hmm. Um, Because all these bariatric surgeries are, is, you know, making their stomach smaller um, or even removing a part of their stomach. So they still keep the same habits that got them to that place in the first place. Um, which is, you know, poor nutrition and lack of movement, lack of exercise. So even though they may be missing a portion of their stomach or there's a band to make their stomach smaller, they're still keeping those same habits. Um, And then eventually, because their stomach is smaller and they're still eating these large amounts of food, they end up having a lot of um, just nutritional deficits because their stomach isn't able to absorb. There's a lot of patients that have a lot of um, vomiting and things like that. So they erode their esophagus. Their stomach isn't able to absorb all the vitamins and the minerals from their food. So they have nutritional de- uh, deficiencies and vitamin deficiencies. So it, it really is a scary road because it's just another quick fix, to be honest. Um, it's expensive and people think that it is safe because it's done by a doctor and your insurance pays for it. But in the long run, it's not teaching you sustainability. It's um irre- irreversible too, right? Um, so it just depends what it is. If you do, you know, like the gastrectomy where they actually remove part of the stomach, that's obviously you can't reverse it. Uh, the gastric banding, they can take that off. But it's really a fine line because we see it with our, with our clients all the time is that they're scared to have that reverse diet because they're scared to gain back the weight. You see it with bariatric patients as well, because they went in and they were so overweight and they were so unhappy and then they lost all of this weight. But along with the weight, 
they've also impacted their health. Um, and so whenever they go back and they're having all of these health problems and their doctor says, you know, the way to fix your health problems, your vitamin deficiencies and your anemia, your iron deficiencies is to remove your, your gastric band. Well, they're so panicked about gaining that weight back that some of them would rather live with impaired health and deal with those consequences than remember the life that they lived before they were able to get that surgery and gain all that weight back. Um, and that's why it's scary because had they have been taught the way to sustainably lose that weight, that wouldn't be a fear. They wouldn't be fearing gaining it back because they would have those lifestyle habits in place. Um, but now they're dependent on thinking that the only way that they lost that weight and the only way that they'll keep that weight off is if they keep this bariatric surgery in place. Mm -hmm. There's like a huge issue too, with just talking to people who are really overweight and how they should lose weight. You know, you see the shakes, you see the ultra low calories, you see these like crazy protocols and it's like, no one could stick to that. I couldn't stick to that. And then they say like, oh, nothing's working for me. Well, nothing's working for you because you're taking all these extreme routes. Who wants to drink all their meals, you know, how realistic is right. that? Who wants to, um, do hours of cardio every single week? Because I have seen very overweight people who are highly adapted to the amount of cardio that they're doing too. And it is just not normal. And so of course they're going to feel like a failure versus teaching them what's in their food, teaching them healthier habits, teaching them, you know, sleep, sleep routine, stress management. I think once someone really works on mastering their habits, then maybe pursue this. I'm still not a huge fan of the surgery because I think that it, it can come with a whole host of negative side effects. But I think a lot of people feel like they've, they've done it all and there's just not enough. It seems like reporting and like intervention involved before a surgery. And it's interesting too, cause it's like surgery is like life alter life altering and it's dangerous. It doesn't even matter like what type of surgery it is. Any surgery has risk, but just because it's approved doesn't mean it's okay. Mm -hmm. I've even seen the whole, and I think I sent you this, the whole like aspire assist. Have you ever seen that done? Oh. Yeah. Well, I've never, I mean, I think that's new. I'm not doing any approvals for that right now. That was the first time that I had seen it when you sent it to me, but mm -hmm. honestly, that was, that was shocking mm -hmm. and scary, which is basically a tube that is hooked to your stomach and you can eat. And then when you're done eating, you go to the bathroom and you drain out your tube. If you guys need a different definition, that's also called bulimia. So I don't understand how that could even get approval for a surgery. And imagine just having a hole in your stomach and, and pouring that out. Is your quality of life going to be good having that, you know, and having to do that and creating that dependence? Like imagine telling someone like, we're going to remove that, which I don't even know if that's reversible. Well, let's say it is. Imagine telling them you're going to remove it they probably wouldn't want to. And then what? Right. Yeah. I mean, and not to mention, we talk about it all the time is that 
yes, our food, our macronutrients, you know, our proteins, our carbs and our fats, but within those foods is also our micronutrients, you know, all of the vitamins and the minerals that our body absorbs from our foods. So when you are throwing your food up because your stomach is too small and it can't fit the amount of food that you just tried to feed it or going through the to the bathroom and draining your food out you're not allowing your body to absorb the nutrients that it needs from your foods Mm -hmm. so that's where you get all of these deficiencies um and you know anemia and people who are needing iron transfusions and like i mentioned you know all of that stomach acidity that is being thrown up constantly throughout the day because their stomach is too small Then they start getting their, you know, these bleeding ulcers and their esophagus is eroding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they are having aspirations because the throat and the esophagus and things aren't working the way that they should be. So, yes, I mean, temporarily, you think that you fix your problem because you're told that being obese or morbidly obese is, you know, detrimental to your health. So you think, okay, well, I'll have this weight loss surgery, I'll lose this weight, and then I'll be healthier. But no, you actually later on, you face all of these other health issues, because you didn't take the time to actually educate yourself on how to lose the weight and you keep your same habits. Yeah. And I think it's just unfortunate too. like a lot of these people who seem to be talking to people who are morbidly obese are not empathetic. And they are rude they are dismissive and they don't listen and i do feel like there needs to be more of an intervention even including a therapist which i know you mentioned that in in cases there are but i feel like these therapists need multiple appointments that it needs to be something even monitored and like even homework involved like there has to be more involved here because these people i've even seen some people who will gain weight in order to get approved for surgery, which is just super upsetting. And I don't know if that's still a thing, but again, these people are desperate. So like <laughs> there's people who lie in therapy, you know, all yeah. the time. And, and you don't know that, but if you have like a really good therapist, they would know. Yeah. So part of the approval process through insurance, there's different criteria that has to be met. Um, and two two parts of the criteria for the bariatric surgery to be approved is one, they had to have a counseling through a nutritionist or a dietitian. Um, and then two is that they have to have a psych eval within one year. But I mean, the tricky part about it is that I mean, I'm walking a fine line here, but whenever you have a bariatric surgeon, it's almost like they know exactly who to work with Mm -hmm. Um, because you get the same answers on all of the, the reviews that you do, you know, they're checking all the same boxes. They had, they had their psych eval, they had their um, dietitian consult, you know, they weren't able to sustain or to sustain not eating their carbs, which neither am I, I don't blame them. It's no wonder that they weren't able to sustain that diet. You know, they weren't able to maintain weight loss by drinking shakes. Well, surprise, surprise, I mean, who is? So it's things like that where it's like, you know, they didn't take the proper steps um, and then they do face the consequences eventually. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And those e evals. So like I had thought that they were actually sitting down, like going to therapy, but it sounds like that's not the thing. And I think that it's that a one-time consult. Yeah. That's, that's nothing. A therapist wouldn't know anything really about you, yeah. um, which is upsetting. And so I think that we have to keep in mind that the healthcare field, unfortunately, in America is also a cash cow, <laughs> makes a lot of money. And so mm -hmm. surgeons, uh, pharmaceuticals, they want money and they want you to need them. And unfortunately, the fitness space prevents that. <laughs> so <laughs> they tend to not want that, it seems. And not to say that your doctor or whoever you're, you're getting your help from is malicious, but I think a part of it too is, is what they're, they've been taught to is kind of this transaction versus like solution base. Um, we see a lot of problems here where you go to the doctor, they find a solution and maybe that's just a pill, right? It's nothing yeah. to do with your habits. It's nothing to do with your nutrition. I mean, I even remember as a kid going to the doctor for extreme fatigue. And not once did I have my nutrition or exercise addressed. It was more so, oh, you're really tired. Okay. Well, that's normal for your age. And it was just dismissive. And I was like 19 at the time, but I was like needing naps throughout the day because my crazy ass was running two hours a day and eating a thousand calories, but nobody asked me those questions. And so the nutrition and fitness side is just not being looked at at all yeah i mean i had a similar situation just this week you know where i went to the doctor um to talk about possibly you know removing my birth control and different things that i've been going through and she was extremely dismissive as well mm -hmm. um and so a lot of times like you mentioned they are looking for the solution but they're not looking for the actual root cause Mm -hmm. um, and so it's always a band-aid and eventually it's like, you're taking, you've got to stack on a band-aid on top of that band-aid on top of that band-aid on top of that band-aid, because you're not treating the root cause. Um, and I see it all the time in the field that I work in, because it's like, okay, well, you went in for high blood, you're, you're going in for high blood pressure. So you have high blood pressure. So instead of talking to you about moving more throughout the day and focusing on your nutrition, we're going to give you a pill for high blood pressure, mm -hmm. but you don't change the habits. You keep your habits and you're on, let's say you're on 25 milligrams of a pill. Well, it's just like cardio or being in a deficit, your body adapts to that and you keep these same terrible habits. So then now you're needing 50 milligrams of that pill or 75 milligrams of that pill. And then you're always increasing but then you're, you, don't, you don't only have high blood pressure, now you have high cholesterol. So you need a pill for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just all of these things that eventually stack on and stack on. By the time you're 65, 70 years old, you're on 10 different pills for 10 different things. And you're on a fixed income and half or over half of your income is going just on your medications to keep you alive. Yeah. The scary thing too, is when you start talking about like type two diabetes and it's like, if you don't get insulin, you're in trouble. Right. Yeah. And insulin and it, is, is, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So the thing is, I mean, a lot of 
people know when you go to the doctor, if you go to the doctor yearly, or even let's say you go once every two years, once every five years, they run those labs and they can tell you, hey, you're pre-diabetic. At that time, that should be the conversation that you are having with your provider that says, you know, if you don't change your ways, your life is looking very scary in, in the next couple of years because you're pre-diabetic. That means that you can take make lifestyle modifications that can reverse that. Mm-hmm. Um, but really it's just kind of like, well, you're pre-diabetic, you know, you might want to get some, some movement. Well, some people take that really seriously. Some people don't, um, because a lot of people know, well, if I'm diabetic, well, I can just take a pill and keep doing what I, what I do, which is easy. You know, they want to do the easy thing and it may be easy now, but it's not going to be easy eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the diabetes thing is, like that runs in my family and so does obesity. And I think a lot of people also get in their head of like, if their parents are diabetic or they have family, they just throw up their hands and they say, well, it's genetic. There's nothing I can do, but there is a whole host of things that you can do. Um, and you really need to sit down and have a hard conversation of like, am I really being preventative right now? Or am I adding to the solution? Um, or not solution. Am I adding to this problem? And if your lifestyle is, is not the healthiest, you can make a change. We're not asking you to go from eating, you know, high amounts of sugar and processed foods to eating quote unquote clean all the time, but we're asking for you to address the problem and start making small changes. Maybe that goes from walking 3000 steps a day to 6,000 steps a day, or going from drinking soda and juice to drinking more water. You know, you can make small changes and the body, like how cool is it that our body gives us warning signals? You know, if you talk about, um, pre-diabetic, right. You're at risk for developing high blood pressure. You're at risk for developing osteoporosis. Your body gives you warning signs. And so we need to collect biofeedback as well. So we can really be more in tune with our bodies instead of just going through the, going through the motions. Yeah. And I mean, the great thing about your body too, is that it is adaptive. I mean, I've seen patients who were on insulin two to three times a day, they make those changes and maybe they can go to just taking a pill. I mean, that's progress. Insulin is extremely expensive. And when you're having to inject yourself all day long and you can go to just taking a pill form, that's huge. Mm -hmm. So it's never too late. Um, And I think some people get to that point where it's like, well, I already have all these issues. So why bother? Like your body is adaptive and it responds. So it's never too late to make those changes. Um, But it's especially, especially important to try and get ahead of it. And I mean, I think of it of like small deposits, you know, like, yeah, you're young and you don't have to care now. You think you don't have to care now, but the more deposits that you make into your health of building up these habits, like the more it's going to pay off and be there for you later. Mm -hmm. A lot of people look at like people who are engulfed in fitness and like they love it and they think like, oh, like I can never do that. Like that can never be my lifestyle. And it wasn't like that for anyone. It wasn't like that for me. It probably wasn't like that for you. We all had a day one where we just decided that like, Hey, I'm ready to make a change. And so now it's automatic. And now it's, it's easier not to say that it's easy by any means, like there's still effort involved, but 
you're not going to get to that point of autopilot if you don't just let yourself try and don't drown yourself in it. Don't go from, I'm not a fit person to like, I'm a fitness fanatic. Like, no, and you don't even need to be a fitness fanatic in order to be preventative and just take care of yourself. Like if you look at the basic fitness requirements, they're actually really low. I mean, it's like what 30, 30 minutes of exercise a day that, and that could be a walk, you know, it's not super high by any means. Yeah. I mean, this was never my lifestyle either. Um, And I don't, if I know a lot of people say like, it's my genetics. Well, if that's the case, then I should be extremely obese because everyone in my family is overweight. Um, Everyone, everyone in my family is overweight. So it's not your genetics, it's your lifestyle. And I think that's really one of the things to if anyone takes anything from this is really to emphasize is that your genetics don't determine, um, your health, your lifestyle does. Yeah. I think a lot of people can shut down too. when they hear the word excuses, like you're making excuses, but sometimes we need some tough love that you are making excuses and you have to want better for yourself. Um, if someone were to say that to you, you're making excuses and it hurts. Why does it hurt? why does this trigger you? Why? And try to address that further. Um, I mean, it can be, I think we all even can improve a little bit. Like if someone were to say like, to me, you're making excuses for not eating more vegetables. I would be a little bit triggered. (laughs) I have to actively get myself to eat more vegetables. And I know that that sounds silly, but you know, there's always areas that we can improve on and we can choose to shut down or we can choose to really like ask yourself like, okay, why does that bother me? And can I actually use that feedback in a positive way? Yeah. Um, So a quote that my mom always used to say, um, and it really sticks to me still to this day is when something triggers you and she would always say, you know, if the shoe fits, wear it. Like in other words, you know, if you're, if you're guilty of that, then own it and improve, you know, fix it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really just the main, the main thing here is um, if you are ready to, or if you're even playing with the idea of, you know, I need to make these changes, like it's never too late and it will pay off. It doesn't matter like how far in you think you are, or what you've been told by your doctor, like doing something is always going to be better than doing nothing. Yeah. And just like the whole investing in yourself, like please stop just investing in programs, investing in what Beyonce or whatever did to get in shape and and hire whatever program that was like, don't do that. Hire a mentor, hire a coach, hire someone that is genuinely going to care about you and whose philosophy aligns with you. And maybe that's even like an RD, you know, but find someone that fits you versus someone that's just like drink five shakes a day or eat 800 calories a day. If someone, someone were to tell me to do that, I would just walk out. I wouldn't do it. And you can also flip the script and say, could you see yourself following that? And if you see your doctor all caught up and all confused, that's a red flag. So I think a lot of people also get that white coat syndrome where they feel like they can't be an advocate and they can't speak up 
And I've luckily learned this at a young age and I've started to speak up more whenever I'm at like doctor's offices, because I've seen it happen time and time again, where you get dismissed. And even with this past um, issue, like with my back, I had to tell my chiropractor, I said, look, I'm young. I look like I'm in shape. I look like there's nothing wrong with me. I'm in extreme pain. It is so bad that I cannot move sometimes and I need x-rays because my last doctor wouldn't do it. And he said, okay. And he genuinely believes me and I can tell that he's listening to me, but you have to speak up because sometimes people were flawed, right? And and we can um judge people, unfortunately. Yeah, I think really advocating for your own self. Um and then being educated, but you know, educate your on something. If your doctor tells you something and you're just not sure about it, do your research. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's not that, you know, all doctors are malicious or, you know, they are just in it for the pharmaceutical money and things like that. It's that, and I mentioned this on my story the other day, it's that certain doctors are specialists and they know a lot about one thing. Um, and that's great. That's what we're going to them for, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that means that they know a little bit about a lot of things. So if you're going to your doctor for one issue and they're giving you advice on a different issue, you need to realize that that's not their specialty and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, if you come to me or Nicole and you are wanting nutrition advice and we, you know, give you advice about something that's completely out of our field, then we would also want you to do your research on that because that's not our specialty. That's not what we are certified and that's not our area of expertise. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's really important as the patient, it is your responsibility to know, okay, you know, I respect this doctor because they have a lot of education. However, they have a lot of education in a certain subject. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because they're a doctor doesn't mean that they know everything about everything. It means that they know a lot about this certain thing. Um, So whenever I go to my a women's doctor, my female doctor, she, she wasn't a gynecologist, but she was a nurse practitioner, but um, women's health, and she's giving me nutrition advice, I need to take that with a grain of salt. (laughs) And remember that this is not her lane. Um, And that's not any fault of her own. It's just that that's not her specialty. So same thing, you know, on any other doctor that you go to, that's a specialist, you know, if it's your cardiologist, and they're giving you advice on why your ACL is torn, well, you probably not might not want to talk to your heart doctor about your ligaments. So it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, but as the patient, it's really your responsibility to advocate for yourself and then do your own research. I think doctors also kind of have that pressure to, to know it all. Right. And so there's kind of that stigma of like, okay, I need to look professional. I need to, you know, play the part, you know, everybody wears faces throughout the day, you know, you're, you're playing a character throughout the day. And I think when doctors are in their role, they think that I I need to be the the authority. I need to, um, (laughs) really be able to answer all this, all these patients questions. And then they start to, um, give not the best information. And like, even as a coach, like I have plenty of people who ask questions who are out of, it's out of my scope. And I don't, mind saying like, Hey, like 
I'm not the expert at X, Y, and Z. And I think even a lot of nutrition coaches start to get into their, their head of like, I need to be a master of it all. I need to be the gut specialist. And then I also need to be the women's health specialist. And then I also need to be the hormone specialist. And it's like, Hey, Mm -hmm. like that's crazy. Yeah. Like that it's, it's crazy. And you can't know it all. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's no problem. There's no problem with referring somebody out. Um, And that's why even in the medical field, there is all of these specialties, because that specific provider is a specialist in that field. If it's not their field, hey, you know, that's not my field, but let me refer you to somebody that it is. And same thing with nutrition, Um, nutrition coaching. It's like, you know, we've addressed all of the basics, all of these you know, big rocks, and we're still seeing some issues. So this is where I want to refer you out to somebody who this is their specialty, because it's not mine. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, you have a team, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that like you had mentioned that doctors feel a lot of pressure to know, you know, everything. And same thing on Tuesday, when I went to the doctor, and you know, I'm telling her, I haven't had my period since April. Like there's different things that are going on. And it's like, do you smoke? No. Do you drink? No. Do you do illicit drugs? No. Do you exercise? Yes. And so I'm checking all of these boxes and she's like, I'm like, yes, I exercise. Yes. I get sunlight. Yes. I take vitamins, all these different things. And then she's like, well, do you drink caffeine? Yes. Well, that's probably the issue then you should cut that out. It's like, okay, you know, how many things were you going to go through before you could find the one thing that I do and then tag my issue to that. So they do, they do try and, you know, know everything. And I get that because there's a lot of pressure from society. They realize that, well, this doctor has these letters after their name, so they must be able to fix everything. But in the end, just knowing that you need to go to a certain person for that specific issue. Yeah. I have like so much respect for like anyone that's like, Hey, like you need to look, look at help elsewhere. I mean, even like my massage therapist, like he's the one that encouraged me to, you know, go to a PT and and even go to Cairo. He's like, you know, like there's something further going on here and I would love to help you more, but I think you're going to need like more help other than just me. And that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, I just kind of going back to the whole being in a crisis mode with thinking of, of surgery and weight loss surgery, I I want people to kind of work on starting from square one in a way, and maybe even look into like, how did I get here in the first place? And so maybe instead of getting approval for surgery, maybe we need to go to therapy. Maybe we also need to hire someone to help us more for nutrition. And again, not hire a program because programs don't work. Education does and support does. And I think a lot of these people are in desperate need of support. Yeah, I agree. And really emphasizing that even if you do go through with this weight loss surgery, this bariatric surgery, um, you're still going to have the same habits that you had that got you to that situation in the first place. Mm -hmm. So if you don't fix those habits, you are going to be in the same situation, only worse, because now you're going to have this procedure that's done, your body's not going to be able to absorb the nutrition that it needs. And so not only are you now going to still be overweight, 
but now you're going to have a a nutritional deficiency. Mm -hmm. So really starting from square one um, and not trying to just take the quick fix and the shortcut. Yeah. Um, I think it was, I was listening to someone's story today and they had said, you know, you're, you're trying to find the loophole and by finding the loophole, you are leaving holes in your journey. Um, and then those holes will still be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone wants an easy way out and there isn't one. The only way through a problem is, is through it. And it's uncomfortable. Cause even after it's like, you have to have a healthier lifestyle. And then that person is like, well, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> cause yeah. they weren't able to achieve it before. And one other thing I was just thinking of is like, yes, do your research on your doctor, but do your research on their patients after, of course, there's patient confidentiality, but some people do do testimonials and share their story. Um, usually those are positive, but Hey, maybe two years later, it's not positive. So reach out to them and get an idea of like what their experience is like, not related to weight loss surgery, but like I've had plastic surgery done. And when I was looking for a surgeon, you you bet your ass I was asking people if they were happy with their results right. because that's a lot of money. That's my life, you know, and I need to take this very seriously. And I think a lot of people get sensitive about the subject, but ask people genuinely, how, how are they after? Because I've even had like, um, like family friends have it done who are basically like family. And I know that they weren't happy because they were like hungry because they can only eat like 1200 mm-hmm. calories and they were still very overweight and uncomfortable and that their, their problem wasn't solved. Right. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people who do have the bariatric surgery done, it's really like a hush hush situation because they don't want anybody to know that they had a procedure done to lose this weight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that can really be difficult as well because people want to keep it as if, you know, they, they lost all of this weight on their own. Yeah. So that can be difficult as well, but really, I mean, as Nicole said, just doing your research on the procedure itself. Yeah. And the, there are, you know, some surgeries too, that maybe if you do lose a lot of weight and you have like loose skin, like that's not something that you can lose through diet and exercise. And that would be more procedure based, but you know, there's a time and a place I think for procedures. And it's also like, where's the health at? Because that could definitely be something that can impact your quality of life and movement. You've seen people lose like 150, 200 pounds and they have a lot of loose skin. And so it's like, yeah, like that would be a procedure to maybe consider and don't let a a coach or um, someone on Instagram convince you that they can help you lose your like 20 pounds of excess skin. Yeah. That's not <laughs> or the case. like wrap you. There used to be this thing of like wrapping you in saran wrap. They used to actually have parties on it. I don't know what it was called, but like wrap you in saran wrap and then it would like tighten your skin. So yes, please don't do that either. That's not a thing. No, definitely not. Um, what is one thing that you think the healthcare, or I should say one thing you would like to see change in the healthcare field? Oh gosh, one thing I could list off like 30, but um, I think focusing more on preventative care, uh, being more proactive and less reactive. 
-hmm. And really, I think that's where insurance can save themselves a lot of money if they wanted to, because who knows what happens on the backside of things. But it would be a lot cheaper to pay for people to get the help that they needed before they needed it. So to help put these practices in place, rather than paying for all of their sick patients years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's something that I preach is to be more proactive and less reactive, because really, by the time you're wanting to do something about it, you have so many issues, and it is extremely expensive. So if you would invest in yourself and invest in your health ahead of time before you think it's going to be a problem before you think that you have to worry about it that could make all of the difference yeah um and the same thing I think with bariatric surgery you know instead of an insurance company paying for a I don't know how much bariatric surgery is but let's say it's forty thousand dollars you know instead of insurance paying forty thousand dollars for a patient to get a bariatric surgery maybe they could pay a coach to work with the patient for a year and teach or help teach them those lifestyle habits that will actually make such a huge difference in the long run. So I was just trying to search um, how much bariatric surgery is. What's the sleeve? What's the difference between a sleeve or is that the same thing? So there's sleeves that there's gastrectomy, gastrectomies, gastrectomies, and then there's also banding. So um, there, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of different. I don't know what the one that you just mentioned where they suck the food out. That's just crazy. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh because I know it's. Serious. How much is it? <laughs> so a lot of these surgeries are like there's a gastric balloon and guys, this is just, Oh wait, no, that's Mexico. That's actually cheaper. I'm sorry. Um, a lot of what I had pulled up here was at least in the five to 6,000 range. Um, and I'm assuming that, you know, those are probably deals that are popping up here. So it's probably significantly more. It's kind of like when you search like anything and then it's like, Oh, it's way cheaper. And then you get there and it's like way more, but um oh I'm sorry lap band lap gastric banding includes five fills fifteen thousand dollars gastric bypass eighteen thousand dollars sleeve I can't say that medical terminology will be the end of my life um sixteen thousand dollars for that so okay that's and that's just the procedure you got to think that they're also going they're going to get a bill from the hospital because they're going to be admitted for the surgery they're going to get a bill from anesthesia because they're being put under anesthesia Mm -hmm. they're going to get a you know a bill from whoever else x-ray and ct scans and then every time so like that gastric banding that five bills you have to go back and they inject fluid into that band to make it tighter. Mm-hmm. That's what five fills are, right? Is that yeah? That was confusing to me. Yeah. So they actually inject fluid into that band, and the more fluid that goes in, the tighter it squeezes your stomach, allowing less and less food into your stomach. So that's why when people eat too much, they overeat from what can be funneled down in through that little band it comes back up and they're throwing it up. Yeah. It's sad. And I mean, that's why I'm saying if insurance wouldn't pay $20,000 for a bariatric procedure, 
and they would pay a coach to spend a year working one-on-one with these prospective bariatric clients, they Mm -hmm. would get a lot more out of it um, because it doesn't stop at $20,000 because the insurance then also has to pay five years later on when the patient is needing iron infusions and getting put on protein or uh, PPIs, the inhibitors to keep the acidity down in people's stomachs because it's coming up their esophagus. So, I mean, there's just... It's not, it's not just $20,000 because later on you're paying for a lot of other health, health problems that it causes. Yeah. It's like 30, 40, 50. Right. Uh, so much more. And I think preventative care, I mean, in a ideal world, I would love for parents to just be able to teach their kids more about nutrition. But unfortunately, a lot of parents also haven't been taught proper nutrition. And I do think part of it should also start in the school system. But to be honest, I think retention is just is variable kid to kid, you know, and it also changes all the time. You know, you get kids who learned about the food pyramid and then it's like my plate and it's like, it's changing all the time. And we need to just teach kids on how to read labels and how to understand like how food provides some of energy. And, you know, there's better ways I think to go about nutrition education, but education also starts with the parents and, that's where the coach can really be helpful. I mean, for me, I didn't really start to excel with my fitness goals until I I started hiring coaches. And, you know, I went to school for the exercise science and nutrition, and I still feel like I learned so much more about myself and my body just through working with a coach. And yeah, it, it can seem like a lot of money, but going back to what you said, 20, 30, 40, $50,000, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And not to mention your quality of life that suffers because it's, it's not just your money. It is your quality of life. Um, when you are overweight and you have poor mobility and when you're not in the best shape, any accident that does happen, you don't recover like a person who is on on the healthier side. I mean, you fall and you break your hip. If you're already in good shape before that and you're prioritizing your health and, you know, you're used to being more agile, you're going to recover a lot faster than somebody who's morbidly obese um, and has diabetes and high blood pressure. And some of those people who fall when they're older, they get put into a rehab facility thinking that, oh, okay, maybe I'll be here two weeks. They never come out. Um, and that's a lot of money and that is your quality of life as well, because I mean, you got to think of how do you want to spend your years when you're older? I mean, do you want to spend it that way? Yeah. A lot of people too, like regret just not taking care of themselves. I mean, I look at my grandparents, um, my grandpa in particular, and it's like, gosh, if you would have just weight trained, if you would have just you know, kept taking care of yourself, you wouldn't need to walk completely hunched over, you wouldn't be dealing with, you know, all these horrible health conditions that you have now. Um, And who knows, and I think at that point, too, like, granted, he's in his 90s. And that's impressive. But like, it's still like, oh, my gosh, like, it probably wouldn't be as painful as it is right now, if I would have took those steps. And he was also like a smoker and all that. So, you know, we got to take our health seriously because it might not be bothering you now, but time is a gift and a curse and it can get the best of you. 
Yeah. And I mean, if you go to your doctor and you're told those things of like, you're pre-diabetic, you're pre-hypertensive, um, you know, your cholesterol is a little bit high. Don't just think that you can continue doing the same things that you do and rely on a pill. Um, that is the time. And even before that, but if anything, that is the time when you should really take your health into it uh, and make it a priority because a lot of people think that they can just have a pill and they'll, they'll be fine, but it eventually catches up to you. Definitely. All right, guys. So I feel like this episode is going to be helpful for a lot of you. I know it's definitely more of a serious topic. And um, like I mentioned earlier, Alec is a brand new coach for Nicole Ferry Fitness, and she's also bringing on some one-on-one clients. So if you resonated with some of her messaging today, make sure that you contact her and I'm going to leave all her information down below alongside with social media. And thank you again for today and your expertise. Yes. Thank you.